This podcast is a love letter to every small business owner in Africa that dreams of growing big, every African executive that wants to get ahead, and every leader that wants more impact. I'm Tembi Kumalo, your host and the founder of Brand Builder Africa. We'll talk about everything to do with growing your business by building your brand. Hosting the Women Who Dare series has been one of the most exciting and enriching experiences of 2021 for me. And I know the year's still young, but it is even one of the most enriching experiences of my life, I would say, because the women I'm speaking to are people who have faced the same things that you and I face. They have felt the same fear that you and I feel, and yet they have been able to press on to achieve the things that they believe they were created to do. Today, I'm talking to Yawa Hansen Kwao, a phenomenal woman whose quiet, dignified power is really going to change the way you look at yourself and the way you feel when you are afraid. I'm really hoping that this series encourages you and that this episode in particular gives you pause so that you can rethink some of your limitations. Enjoy. Hey, Yawa, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And where are you right now? I'm speaking to you from Accra, Ghana. What's this is it home. like in Accra today? Well, the weather's been good, warm and sunny as usual. As and, usual. Uh, <laughs> it usually is most of the year. Uh, thankfully, we've got good weather most of the year. So, yeah. yeah. Great. Now, we are having this conversation as part of a series called Women Who Dare. And um, I've just, uh, our listeners have just heard your profile, and they are probably wondering how you came to be this person. Like, what are the moments in your life that have led you, or the milestones that have led you to becoming the woman you are today? Great question. First of all, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. I have walked through multiple roads and multiple experiences to kind of evolve into who I am today. I still very much believe I'm on the journey of evolution. And I don't know that one ever arrives, but we have to keep aspiring. Um, but yeah, I come from a family of uh, six kids. I'm number two, the oldest girl, the oldest of two girls. So I have four brothers and um, I have a multicultural background. My family fled our homeland, Ghana, in the early 80s uh, during a period of, of uh, intense political upheaval. So my father um, was a politician. He worked um, for a government that was ousted by a military coup. So quite frankly, it was unsafe for us mm -hmm. to be in the country. So uh, that is how, through a string of lucky circumstances, quite honestly, we ended up in the U.S. as an immigrant family. Um, so I started my education in the U.S. Uh, I was five years old when we left Africa. And, um, you know, I, I think for anyone who's lived abroad, but is originally from elsewhere, that dynamic of, of not necessarily feeling 100% like you belong mm. has always been, you know, kind of a, a background of um or a background soundtrack to, to my yeah. life at least yeah. so i i think you know one of my earliest experiences and i do tell this story often is i remember being laughed at a lot not just for being that weird african girl with a weird name that people struggle to pronounce mm -hmm. but also in addition to you know the fact of of being an other 
uh, I, I struggled because many people thought my voice was really, really deep for a young girl. And so as kids do, I, I got teased a lot. And I, I remember just really, you know, shrinking and wondering and and you know i i was a very boisterous loud and happy child for the most part but i remember what that experience did to me you know to it it made me feel as though i wasn't good enough and even if i knew the answer to a question I stopped sharing what I knew because I was afraid of ridicule and it didn't take long to, for, for that behavior that I, you know, was exhibiting in school to, you know, just be the way I was. Mm -hmm. I I just started being quiet and I muted myself because of the ridicule. And it didn't take long for my parents to notice. And I thank God for kind of knowledgeable and perceptive parents. And, uh, you know, I my father confronted me and asked, was I okay? Did something happen to me? And after a bit of prodding, I admitted that, you know, I'm being teased. Um, and this is why. And he told me two things that have stuck with me. And I think for people to really get me, (laughs) you may need to understand the two things he said. The first is, you must never let laughter stop you. You know, people will always have opinions of what you do and what, who you are, but you can't let their opinions and their laughter stop you. And the second and perhaps most empower, impactful thing that he said was don't let people steal your voice. Your voice is your power. Wow. And he asked when you're in school and they're taking the attendance roll call, how do you announce that you're there? I said, you know, I say present sir or present madam as, as it would be. And he said, mm-hmm. that's right. Like without your voice, you cease to exist. And that's perhaps what started my lifelong love affair with the idea of finding my voice and using my voice and helping other women to do same. So I I think one of my major influences has been my parents, you know, um, being immigrants in a country and just, you know, having to rise to a new standard of expectations of self and having to reinvent yourselves in order to survive. Um, So I grew up with a deep admiration for them. Um, But I think they also, you know, just really instilled in us this sense of purpose, this sense of believing in self, but also the sense of duty. Like we have a responsibility to the world. Um, We were a strong, uh, grew up in a very strong Christian family as well. So those ideals, you know, definitely have formed the foundation of who I am today. Wow. And what, so once you became an adult woman, what are some of the things that continued to scare you um, or new things that started to scare you? And what did you do to overcome your fears? That's a great question. You know, I started off being afraid of my ambition. Oh. And, and let me explain. You know, it's, it's interesting that what you keep in front of your eyes, what you watch just informs you in mm-hmm. ways that words, uh, you know, no one has to tell you, you can't be something. And I think there's a, a famous saying, you can't be what you can't see. Yeah. But I, I recall, you know, on TV and on the news or just the things that would attract me would be images of women being powerful or leading. Mm. And in the realm of my experience, immediate experiences, be it at school or at church, which were really my two frames of the world at that time, I never saw women kind of doing ambitious things like that, only on TV. So I, you know, I would, I I had this 
really um, vivid imagination, like imagining myself, like giving a speech at the UN or imagining myself, you know, being a president of a country or imagining myself, you know, leading a big company and being in charge of a lot of people and having the opportunity to create wealth in a major way. And quite honestly, that used to scare me like the ambition I would feel the natural inclination towards and I think that you know ambition is just such it it can be such a dirty word for women Mm. that and we live in a world that teaches us to kind of shelve or hide or not publicize the big dreams or goals that we um we aspire to and I think I, one of the, the biggest um, uh, hurdles that I had to come over was just kind of owning that, owning the ambitions I had, yeah. that I wanted my path to look a little differently than all of the women that I knew in my school who yeah. would become wives and mothers invariably, and that would be it, yeah. and become Bible school teachers, and that would be it, and, and be you know, beloved in their home and in their community, but no one would know them in their country or in the world. And to me, I just, I just felt that my eyes were set just kind of innately on a bigger sphere of influence. And not to say, you know, you have to have that as, as, as your goal in order for it to be ambition enough, but with respect, to kind of my path and my journey, it did take me a while to kind of own my ambitions. I would say it was when I was in college. I ran for and became the first woman in Ghana to ever become president of their university's student council association. Wow. And, you know, I wasn't really trying to prove a point, but I had nurtured this ambition to kind of be a leader and I saw a platform that I felt I could lead mm. and I went with it with everything that I had because again I just had been on this journey um, to stop being afraid of the things I was innately attracted to so I would say my first fear to overcome was the fear of those ambitions because I if if I'm being honest I don't know that it's the fear of the ambition itself mm. but it's the fear of the implication of it so if for example you've never seen a woman that holds power wield favor everyone calls her a bitch or a witch <laughs> or or mm-hmm. or assumes that you know And innately, we also want to be liked. And so you're like, I want to be powerful. But if I'm powerful, I will invariably have to make choices that will make people not like me. And I want to be liked. So I'm scared of not being liked. (laughs) So I'm not going to aspire for a leadership position. So, you know, there's just so much that scares us. And it's usually Mm. because of what we've seen female politicians vilified in the media for example and instead of talking about the issues we talk about what they look like or talk about who's caring for their children and so I think that sometimes that's what's the underlying fear so I had to be okay with that and I think I've made peace with that to a large extent but I don't know that you can kind of consistently maintain that posture without a community of support which is why um you know part of what I've sought to do um on my leadership journey is to bring other women along with me Mm, yeah that is so true because also in many ways you may be unprepared for the actual types of of challenge or resistance that you're gonna face once you're in leadership. Um, right. You may be prepared for certain other things, but then something comes from left of field. And if you don't know anyone who's had to deal with that kind of thing, and there's no one you can ask safely, 
um, then yeah, it, it can be a real nightmare. How, how, how have you gone about um, developing a community that nurtures you? Um, like a lot of women talk about how difficult it is to find a mentor. Um, how, what advice would you be able to give in that respect? Well, I, I often tell people who um, approach me for mentorship that I have found that you attract great mentors when you are yourself um, someone who creates value. Mm. So sometimes what you envisage a mentorship relationship to look like is you show up and mentor pours into you. <laughs> but I found that I offer, is there anything I can do for you? And while I'm doing for and doing with, I am learning and observing and more valuable than any words that you can say to me are just the opportunity to be in your orbit and to see how you interact with the world. So some of my best mentorship has come through service. And I strongly encourage women who are ambitious to, to you know, really not overlook the value of serving someone else. And for example, I learned a lot about kind of administration of a, an organization by just volunteering my time to serve a leader that I admired. And I told her, I have these number of hours available every week, what can I do for you? And just to come into her organization and answer her phones and take her messages and take mm -hmm. minutes in meetings that she was in and to see how she came to decisions and saw how upfront how she negotiated I no longer needed to ask her certain questions because I mm -hmm. saw it firsthand mm -hmm. yeah so the opportunity to be in someone's circle through service mm -hmm. is one of the most valuable mentorship experiences you can ever have. I love and so sometimes, yeah, because yeah. recently I was talking on this podcast to someone who said, actually, an internship is not a, a, a time when you work for free. It's an opportunity to learn for free. And I thought that was so good because I like that. Yeah, mm -hmm. because literally you're going in there and you're picking up, like you're saying, really valuable skills and knowledge and the kind of experiential knowledge that you can't get from a an institution, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Really, really valuable. Yeah. So once you, once you had um, set, kind of set your, your intention in terms of taking a path of leadership, were there any, any big um, obstacles that, that you can share with us that stood in your way or, or events that really kind of knocked you for six that, you couldn't have expected or anticipated or prepared for that you had to overcome and how did you overcome them? Oh, I feel like you need a glass of wine and a couple of hours <laughs> <laughs> to answer some of these questions. I have had numerous starts and stops and I've had numerous discouraging moments and it has not been elegant or pretty, I can assure you. Running for office uh, in student politics was a minefield. And I was surprised to find, for example, that women didn't want to vote for me just because I was a woman. Um, because I, I think that was the first time I had come into um, the realization that, you know, we as women can be just as taken by this subconscious belief that women cannot or should not be leaders. 
And, um, you know, I remember just being a little surprised that people um, who I thought would easily support me, not necessarily because of my gender, but because of my ideas, would overlook my ideas and just be fixated on my gender. But I mean, that that's where you have to learn, um, you know, to meet people where they are, and also to just prove. Um, I learned the importance of building alliances and allegiances, and recognizing that sometimes you're not the best person to make the ask. Um, find what's mm -hmm. important to a person and appeal to them there. I found that you cannot be your best self by yourself. You need a community of people Ooh, who are supporting that. you. That's so yes. beautiful. You That's cannot so be your best self by yourself. You need people, um, whether it's a campaign team, if you're running for office, or it's a, a, a community of, you know, people you're just gut checking things with before you make major life choices. If it's, you know, a community of women or men, because sometimes the best people to help you are men, mm -hmm. especially if you're in a male dominated field, you won't always find women there to support you. So it's how do you provide enough value for people that they feel vested in your success so you don't have to go it alone because isolation is part of how you self-destruct. And for a lot of women, as we um, advance into leadership, we come so we become so isolated. There's no one to bounce anything off of. Or we drink our own Kool-Aid and feel like we have arrived. And that's where destruction starts. Um, you burn out, number one. But sometimes you become so, you live in a bubble that your influence begins to wane. Um, your effectiveness begins to wane. So maintaining relationships at multiple levels like I always think who's behind me who is with me and who's ahead of me do I have enough people in each of those circles that I'm connected enough with younger people that I'm kind of with it in terms of new mm -hmm. trends be it technology mm -hmm. be it fashion be it you know sure. my peers you know who are those that I'm kind of checking in you know, I have a mastermind group, for example, there are five of us who we meet twice a month and we just, we all know what each other's goals are mm -hmm. and we're keeping our, each other accountable. That's my peer network. Then those ahead of me, those who, you know, I'm aspiring to be like um, and whose networks I've come into mostly through to service because I've offered to support them. I found out what they need and I'm relevant in their orbit because I'm offering service. Mm -hmm. And through that service, I'm learning so much about how to be what they are. So I always think about these three circles that no matter how rough the journey is, if you're building your relationships with these three circles, like who's behind me, who is with me and who's ahead of me. Um, and then if you're not isolating yourself, but open with that humility to learn, no matter how rough things get, you'll survive. <laughs> you'll learn how to reinvent yourself. You'll learn how to dust yourself up and try it again. Um, and, and hopefully you'll have enough people around you who won't give you you know, false hope who can tell you that actually this is BS, this does not work yeah, or yeah. You know, who can give you a kick if you need it, but so who at the important. same time can give you a crying shoulder because you will need that as well. Yeah, that's really, really good. Do you think that there's a difference um, in leading in Africa as a woman um, from leading anywhere else in the world what would you say i am biased <laughs> i am so biased i would Go say on. yes and this is why i think that this is an environment where you know tradition to a large extent has determined the paths that most women's lives take mm -hmm. and i think that um you know no matter how much education exposure that one gets one cannot overlook 
how traditions and traditional belief systems and cultural systems mm. influence the lives of people on this continent. So I, I do think that it does take a, a, I don't know that the word is superior, but it does take a different set of skills to navigate in an environment like this where cultural norms and belief systems um, that are intertwined and intermixed with certain faith systems mm. can place a cap on what you will ever accomplish here. Yeah. So it takes a great deal of tact, intellect, trust building, relationship nurturing to move the needle on things that perhaps in other environments wouldn't take as long because of that barrier not existing. Mm -hmm. So it's my opinion, at least, that it takes a unique set of skills to succeed as a leader in Africa and particularly to emerge and to succeed as a woman leader um, in Africa as well. Yeah, I hear you. Um, I mean, in some ways, the, the condition of the continent creates so many opportunities for, for impact, right? Um, mm -hmm. But then everything else that comes with that everything that has created those conditions <laughs> mm -hmm. um, continues to, to get in the way. Quite a, a complex and challenging situation. Mm. What would you, what, what do you wish, you've got a daughter um, and she's going to be a woman one day and she's probably going to be leading if she isn't already. What are your hopes for her? You know, my daughter is seven years old now, and I had the opportunity to watch with her the recent inauguration of the first woman, the first person of color as vice president of the United States. She asked great questions mm -hmm. and that's just one thing that she doesn't have to wrap her head around that, oh yeah, women can do that because she's seen it. Yeah. Um, so my aspiration for her is that she will grow up in a world where it's not question whether or not she can do a thing um, and that she'll have choices, the full breadth of them to make and that she won't be vilified because of the the physiological way she shows up in the world but it's her character and mm -hmm. what she produces that will speak for her i hope that she'll live in a world where violence against women um isn't isn't condoned and that cultural practices that limit the ability of girls to participate um, in, in life in, and, in, and, and to be well and to, to, to have you know, rights that you and I perhaps take for granted, that that won't be the case. Mm. So it, it's, it's really my hope that you know, my generation would have paved the way so that like how generations before us got us the right to vote, mm. um, we would pave the way so that you know, yeah. there'd be you know, less things that she'll worry about. She's definitely a leader. I try to model for her, you know, what, what leadership looks like. Yeah. Um, I respect her opinions the best that I can. She is, after all, seven years old. <laughs> but, you know, um, my, my husband Charles and I try to create an environment where she feels valued, and that we explain things to her um, and let her, you know, interact with the world as herself. And that's, that's the minimum that I'd hope for, for the world that my daughter, you know, becomes an adult in, 
that she would be creating such opportunities and that she would be, you know, fearless in a way that um, generations before her have not been. Do you think Africa is ready for a child raised this way? I'm not sure that any continent ever feels ready for women that are fearless. Mm. I'm not sure that we need people to be ready. I think that you show up and this, the more fearless women that emerge, the more we normalize ourselves. Mm. So I don't think normalization is what others do for us, it's what we do for ourselves. Amen. That if we are committed to showing up as ourselves, um, and if we, you know, enable the, the, the daughters that we are nurturing to understand that they are, they have value and they have rights and that I think above all that they, they have something to offer the world because I think that that's what, that's where hope gets lost when you feel like you have nothing to offer the world when you're in a perpetual state of victimhood, that's where hope gets lost. So part of my ethos with the work that I've done with women has always been, you know, you are not the victim here. Um, you have something of value that the world needs. Right. Your job is to nurture that gift, unearth and unleash it so that the world sees it and benefits from it. You are not the victim here. Mm. And we say that regularly. And we, in fact, we're not really, um, when I ran Leading Ladies Network for about a decade, I would constantly say, we're not making you leaders. We're just unearthing, helping mm -hmm. you to unearth the potential you already possess. That so many young girls are responsible at home. That's leadership too. Absolutely. If you're responsible for younger siblings, that's leadership too. Mm. I've always maintained that if you can make two kids stop quarreling, you have what it takes to broker world peace because that's essentially <laughs> the same skill set. So it's about amplification, unearthing what's already there, helping to nurture the gifts, nurture that talent and present it it to the world so we are not victims here and I think part of how you deal with the helplessness that many women are feeling is by helping reframe the thinking um, to I I have something of value to offer the world and I am not done here so until I have successfully unearthed and unleashed it Wow, that's really powerful. I, I'm listening to you speaking and, um, you know, I've, I've heard about your background and I'm just thinking there are women listening to who, who haven't had the benefit of growing up um, the way you did, having that kind of journey um, with all of its, its formative experiences that you've had what what can they so i'm thinking how how can they feed their own um not necessarily ambition but even just their minds how do you feed your mind what do you consume so that you can stay in the space of um readiness in the space of service in a space of consciousness in a space that enables you to, to show up right in the world? I have a fundamental belief that what you don't have naturally is always available through some other means. So for example, you know, I talked about the great foundation that my parents laid for me Mm -hmm. But I recognize that some people are orphaned. Mm -hmm. They grew up in, you know, without parents at home. Um, and I, I think that what you don't 
get naturally, you can always find through a different means. Right. And so I think when you proactively look for, so I have proactively looked for women who inspire. I read stories and biographies of women. That's that's my hobby. It's my pastime. I'm not a fashion magazine lipstick and stuff type of girl. Mm -hmm. I'm can I keep myself pumped by hearing what others went through and survived Mm -hmm. so that I keep myself motivated to stay true to my goals. Mm -hmm. So to your question of what you feed on, I do think that, you know, your diet isn't just what you eat on a plate. It's what you feed your mind and your spirit. Mm -hmm. Um, I am a practicing Christian. I feed myself the word of God. And in fact, I think that my transition into believing in self really started when I, you know, accepted the word of God as truth. Like God says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And I accept that as truth. So therefore, um, there's no other me. I will not waste my time trying to be somebody else. (laughs) I refuse to be an echo. I'm going to find my voice and be a voice. And that's where it came from for me. So for some people, it will be, you know, through their faith community. For some people, it will be, you know, through a mentorship relationship. For some people, it may be through books and you're living vicariously or learning you know, through the experiences of maybe even fictional characters, whatever keeps you hopeful inspires a sense of can-doism in you is inherently, you know, what I try and focus on so that I can kind of keep, you know, because there's a lot that could be better with the world. There's a lot that, you know, could, we wish we could change. But I have found that if I surround myself with people who are believing what I'm believing or as ambitious as, you know, have ambitions similar to what Mm -hmm. my ambitions are, um, when you are a little discouraged, the other one kicks you and they're like, hey, girl, we're in this together. Or, hey, you know, remember that commitment we made to ourselves? Let's do this. You've got this. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes you will need a pep talk. Sometimes you will need someone to cry with. And sometimes you will need to just sit in that discomfort. Um, And that discomfort, you know, uh, is part of how you grow because it doesn't last forever when you fail. I've had several failures, several financial failures, things that we thought was going to work out and didn't Mm -hmm. work out. But I, I think fundamentally in those alone moments, these are the things that I pick up on my faith, you know, and I have particular scriptures that I go to that kind of comfort me and calm me and remind (laughs) me that, wait a minute, this is not over. I am inherently a winner. Um, So God, give me the, the, the tenacity I need because I'm not this, if, if it's, if it's, if I haven't won, it means it's not over because I'm inherently the winner here. Um, and so pep talks, you've got to give yourself the pep talk yeah. Yeah. Um, or surround yourself with people who can give it to you. So I typically, you know, my husband says I'm just not easy to watch movies with because I want to know what it's about. I want to know how graphic it is. I want to know, you know, because my imagination is just one of the most important tools I have. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to fill it with images that disturb me or get me off balance of what I'm trying to maintain as my way of thinking about self, about life, and about, you know, purpose. So, you know, I encourage the women in my circle to guard your heart and your mind, what you let in it, what kind of content you consume. And because invariably, even fictional 
dramas that you're watching you know they they talk to you it has a way of influencing how you think about relationships for example Mm. or how you think about family relationships you know Mm. I'm of the school of thought that I want to create my reality not have a reality imposed on me and so you've got to be vigilant about what you allow in your mind or let settle in your spirit um And I think it's a spiritual principle. You know, the Bible talks about guarding your heart with all diligence, because out of it flows the issues of life. Because if you get in your heart this idea that nobody likes you and nobody loves you, um, you've got a you've got a big problem. There will be some issues that will come out of that. That's not truth. That's not truth. And sometimes these ideas come through what we watch or what we listen to some of us have endured verbal abuse we grew up in an environment where we were just never told positive things about self but again what you didn't get naturally you can get artificially tell yourself the good things you know Mm. I have recordings sometimes I get so discouraged I have to play a recording of myself (laughs) saying things about myself wow kick myself out of that feeling of despair Mm. and self-pity so we are not perfect but there are some tips and strategies we can use to maintain a certain mindset of possibility because there's what I've noticed and I've thankfully had the opportunity to interact with lots of women leaders and I think the most successful are the most selective about how they deploy their time and their presence they don't want to be in certain environments or want to be hearing people who are negative or petty they cut you off Um, and I'm learning that the more I learn to do that myself it helps me because I care about me and I care about you know, my future. So I have to be selective about how I'm deploying my time and my presence. Am am I being fed here? You got to ask yourself the question, is this movie feeding me or is it terrifying? Is it, you know, making me doubt that I will ever find a loving, faithful man, for example. And I personally you know, really encourage women to not fill yourself with the ideas of, of despair that kind of sink, make you sink and lose hope and, and, and um, demoralize you from putting in the work that could result in your good because you've got all these images in you that just aren't helping you to produce. Yeah. So I have found that look if even if you didn't have it naturally you there are other ways that you can find motivation and I think that that's why your podcast is just such an important tool as well that you are identifying women's women and amplifying their stories so that anyone no matter what journey you're on you can pick Mm -hmm. a tidbit from here and a tidbit from there and you you know put it you know apply it as you need because you can't be your best self by yourself you need help and it's these things that pick people up and you don't know who you're blessing with this you 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 probably have no idea you know there's so many things that are just such a blessing to me that you know I don't take the time to like write the person who created it or you know but I think that this is part of you know how you you create um good in the world and I just think that you know if you put it in your mind that you're incapable of achieving something just because there's a missing ingredient that someone else had that you don't have you are cutting yourself short you may not have have had it naturally but you can access it through other means Um, and you can find mentors you can find a community of people you can plug in you can read books there's lots of free books on the internet now lots of free resources I think that in these days there's very little excuse you can give for why you are not unearthing and unleashing your giftings to the world that is so true. And I, I love your clarity 
um, and your your sense of you know focus, just uh, living in a way that that um, weeds out distractions and detractions. And as we're closing, I just want to ask you for the women who are kind of on the cusp of something big. Um, but still stuck, still afraid, still hesitant. What are three things that you could share with them really quickly that they can take away, that they can put in their recording to keep playing back, to remember and be encouraged by? I, I think number one, you are who you need to be to do what God has called you to do in this world. Mm. You are who you need to be. I think that sometimes we postpone actualization that when I do this and then I'll become, or when I do this, I think it's helpful for you to recognize that you are in essence exactly who you need to be. I had to accept that I've got this voice. This is what my voice is. This is what my face looks like. <laughs> this is how thick my thighs are. This is the color of my skin. I need to accept that. You are exactly who you need to be to be what God has called you to be in this world. And in fact, all of those things are the tools that you need to do the work that you came here to do. Exactly. And if you had that different no one's tools, like you. You, wouldn't, you wouldn't yeah. have be able to do no that work like you yeah exactly yeah so it's i i encourage whoever's listening don't waste your time getting caught up about how someone else does it or you mm. know how well they're speeding mm. put it in your mind that you are exactly who you need to be to accomplish what god has called you to do in the world the second i would reemphasize is you cannot be your best self by yourself no, none of us were created to be an island. You need those circles. Who's behind you? Who is with you? Who's ahead of you? You need to seek out mentors, coaches, counselors, and don't be afraid to make investments in yourself that sometimes the help that you need, you'll have to pay for. Some of yeah. us may have gone through really traumatic things and may need, it may be worthwhile to pay for some professional counseling or I with a counselor I work with an executive coach and these are my gifts to self because yeah. I recognize that I cannot be my best self by myself so no matter how gifted you are you you cannot succeed in isolation and then lastly in all you're getting get understanding that's a scripture that I really love like the wisdom of God there's just something about spirituality that can shorten the length between you and your future success mm. and I have seen how when I marry my spiritual practices with my practical activities I find you know a smoothness I find a certain you know ease with work and home and all the stuff, all the things, the things that bug many of us, the question of balance is often answered when we put ourselves first um, in, in balancing, you know, that the spirit. So I, I strongly encourage, you know, for me, my, my faith practice is Christian. So I pray and the first person I want to commune with in the morning is God. I want to meditate. I want to create an atmosphere of gratitude. Mm -hmm. um, I want to pray. Um, I have prayers that I pray and, and sometimes when I feel weak in praying, I just press play on my phone and, and play a recording. I'm sure you can tell I, I use my phone recording function a lot just to Listen, keep I'm myself picking, listening. I am picking up this, this tip and I'm going to run with it. <laughs> I think it's brilliant. yes because sometimes absolutely brilliant. No, I mean I'm listening to me and being encouraged by me because mm -hmm. in a day where I felt particularly in tune, I took the pain to press play and just said I want to keep I want to hold on to this nugget here, mm -hmm. and you know sometimes I just 
take a long walk and play it to myself and remind myself of the things God has put on my heart to trust Mm -hmm. and believe for. Um, It's so good because, you know, when you are in that place where you, you've resolved something in your heart, I often find myself thinking, how can I hold on to this? How can I like bottle this? And you've literally just given me the answer. <laughs> awesome. And it's I'm excited. really well because, yeah. And, and I can show you like at least two years worth of recordings on my phone. Oh my Prayers word. that I was praying when I was in a tough situation. Wow. Um, and I can play it back to myself and say, wow, thank God for how far you brought me, or this is what I was praying for two years ago, wow. or reflections or dreams that I had. And I find that, you know, I just, we always have our phones with us these days. I don't always have paper and pen. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I take advantage, use the tools that you have in order to keep yourself motivated. Uh, subscribe to podcasts that encourage mm-hmm. you and keep you motivated. And all the content on my phone reflects my values. Everything that I keep around me reflects my values. Because otherwise, there's the stuff that takes up space and mm. holds your time. And if, until you learn how to deploy your time and presence profitably, um, I don't know that you can ever be truly successful. Wow. That is incredible. These are like extra bonus points. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. My pleasure. I have loved my pleasure. I'm really, I'm so um, motivated and encouraged and in awe of your clarity. I think it's just incredible. Oh, thank you. And really something that Africa needs. So thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. It's been such an honor and a privilege. What a pleasure. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. You've been listening to Brand to Build, a podcast brought to you by Brand Builder Africa. We'll be back here next week with more thoughtfully curated content for entrepreneurial leaders who are doing business in Africa. Stay, subscribe, and let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear about next. To learn more, visit our website at www.brandtobuild.co or email askus at brandtobuild.co.